Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program that takes you inside NRG Stadium and gets you in touch with what is happening with your Houston Texans. I'm Mark Vandermeer. It's Texans All Access here from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. And joining us, as he does every Thursday night, John McClain from the Houston Chronicle. General, how are you? You a little tired? You get some sleep last night? Uh, a little bit. I'm disappointed that the Astros lost, of course. Ben Attendee's incredible catch. If he'd have missed it, the game would have been over. Uh, I hope. Justin Verlander wins tonight and they go back to Fenway because if they win the game tonight and they go to Fenway and they were to win the sixth game, that would put a lot of pressure on the Red Sox. But I don't want to see Boston close it out here with the third consecutive victory at Minute Maid Park. Yeah, nobody does, but it's baseball. It's a weird game in the postseason. And before we get to the Jags-Texans game, a couple of notes on last night and on this postseason that are sort of NFL-related. Replay comes up in sports. We have it in the National Football League, have had it for a long time. Obviously, baseball, I'm not going to say it's new, but it's relatively new when you compare it to professional football replay. But your thoughts on not having a great angle, a great look (laughs) at what happened last night in right field. Well, the security guard got in the way of our second camera angle. It's preposterous that you have games that count this much and you're not like football and you don't have cameras set up at every possible angle. At this level, this is the semifinal series to determine the sports champion. I think you have to have that. There's, it's inexcusable that they said a security guard got in the way. <laughs> I know. A security guard got in the way of, it, of an ultra-important view of an ultra-important play, no doubt about it. The other thing is this, and I know that sometimes you go on with uh, Christopher Russo, Mad Dog, and he was going off yesterday about the times, the start times of these games. Really not so much the start well, times. Everybody in the East should be in, based on how long these games are. Even in the Central, because a lot of the fans who left last night, and look, we could argue whether they fans should have or should Fans left Fenway, fans left Yankee yeah. Stadium. You got to get up and go to work. You got to go to work. You have kids, you have babysitters, you have whatever. It's approaching midnight, and the game's not even close to being over, really. You know? It's approaching 1 a.m. in the East. It's incredible. And then he was going, Russo was going off about the previous night. Fans in Milwaukee are in the Central Time Zone, and they're playing at 1 30 in the morning. I mean, you're literally playing your semifinal in the middle of the night. But who could. Who could have predicted it was going to be a 13 inning right, game? Right, right. But it's still, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, I'm with him. I think you got to, st- if, especially if you're on TBS, you're not interrupting any affiliates' early news at six o'clock or whatever the news would be in your particular market. Why not start it a little earlier so you have the meat of the game, the most important parts of the game on in prime time? I don't get it. Another thing about baseball, they they say they like to speed up the game, but. Uh, like these Astros games, the first one and, and last night, with all the pitching changes, with guys stepping out of the box, with pitchers waiting to throw, and 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 all the changes by the managers, it's just it, the game has gotten slower. And right. if it's a close game, you don't mind that, mm-hmm. uh, unless you have to get up and go, get up at 6 in the morning, get the kids off to school, then you go to work. But I think it's an inherent flaw in the game of baseball, the way it's played today. I think professional football has it right as far as... Now, I know it's easier to manage the schedule because you can play it once a week on a Sunday, but in the NFL, you have your semifinal games and your championship game when the whole family can watch the game. They're available for the whole family to see, and you have those bonding experiences and championship moments, and I think it's a huge difference. Now, I know it's harder when you're playing on weeknights and everything, but they got to do a better job somehow. 
I was thinking last night, boy, if you're an NBA fan, it must be nice to be able to go to bed at a normal hour. <laughs> That's right. Even in, even in a postseason, although some of those start pretty late, too, so don't get me started. All right, let's talk a little bit about the situation here. As you and I have not caught up since the Texans went to 3-3, three and three. we talked a little bit on Monday morning, but very briefly. Here they are, having won three games in a row. They need to improve on offense, but the defense is coming around, and you have a crucial game at Jacksonville. The loser is certainly not out of it in the AFC South, but, boy, the winner certainly has a leg up after this one. And this is kind of what we wanted, John. Week 7, this game really meaning a lot, and it does. The Texans have taken care of their business and won the three games in a row. He would want ugly, so what? You know, I was thinking Tennessee and Jacksonville would love to have been able to have an ugly win the last two weekends, nobody could have predicted both would lose. So now we have a three-way tie. This game against Jacksonville is something that would get people pumped because the Jaguars are favored. So people are not expecting the Texans to go in and win, but that's what they need to do. You know, they've blown two games they should have won, Tennessee and the Giants. Well, this is a way to make up for it. Win a game you're not supposed to win. Be in first place with the Brocktoberfest coming uh, next <laughs> Thursday night uh, at NRG Stadium. And think if they were to win this game, win four in a row, how pumped the fans would be for the Brockster to come back here for the Dolphins and start. They were, No matter what, they're going to boo him like crazy. Absolutely. And that makes that game even more exciting. No offense to the Aggies and Ryan Tannehill, but, but uh, boy, Brock Osweiler coming back and playing the Texans on national TV. It doesn't get much better than that. When he joined the Dolphins, we talked about the possibility, but it just seemed so absurd that Brock could find his way back into the starting lineup, and you knew injuries would play a part, but he is the actual backup in Miami behind Tannehill, and here he is. But we'll get back to that in a moment. Jacksonville, John, talking to some of their people, yeah, the defense should be playing a whole lot better, but the offense, they have a lot of injuries, and they're not moving the ball, and that's contributing to the defense having to be on the field for too many appearances, too many snaps, and it's really costing them. The Texans is – Deshaun Watson's thrown an interception in eight consecutive games. This is a time for him not to throw one. Uh, I think the Texans can win this game unless they turn it over, which they, they could have had two more turnovers – against the Bills, but uh, heads up by Senio Calamete and Alfred Blue falling on balls that were laying there. And I think if they were to play the first turnover-free game, they're going to beat the Jaguars. Blake Bortles now gets to go home. And Jadavion Clowney today, I'm writing a column about this tomorrow, he didn't say he regretted calling trash, but he explained the situation. And we talked about the toys. He turned the trash into toys for kids at Mission of My Way. And, and um, so Clowney has a lot more help. So many guys were on IR for that game in December when yep. they were humiliated 45-7. to They're, They've been relatively lucky at this point, even though they've lost some players. Texans can win this game, Mark, and they don't have to contend, I don't think, with Fournette again. Hill, Yeldon may not be it. He's got to be yep. able to play. They could be down to their third running back. And you think of how Bortles did what he did last year, three touchdowns, no interceptions, I think 326 yards. He made Keelan Cole look like a Hall of Fame receiver. They can get pressure on him this time. They can force him out of the pocket, and what they have to worry about is him running because he's, he's for his size, as you know, yep. he is a really effective runner. 
John, it looks like Whitney Merciless has started to come around. That's a good sign. Well, Whitney, two games ago, had three hits on a quarterback against Andrew Luck. I knocked him down three times, had a tackle for loss on a running play. Then he didn't show up on the stat sheet. But three or four times he set the edge and forced Ezekiel Elliott to go inside. Then he was back on the stat sheet. And he's not playing in every defense, mm-hmm. which is hard to imagine. But Romeo Cordell explained that to us last week and of course Whitney's going to do what he's supposed to do but still you need him making some plays in the backfield absolutely what about the back end now because Kareem is looking good no matter where he plays Joe's played well since he broke up that last uh, pass in Indianapolis the defense and I wrote about this today has played great the last two games yeah you're playing Buffalo Josh Allen Nathan Peterman yeah but you played Dallas and Dallas put 40 on the Jaguars who are still ranked number two in defense so uh, and they've been especially good against the run. And, uh, in fact, the leading rusher on every opponent, I believe I figured up, is averaging 52 yards a game. And the Texans are only giving up 3.4 yards a carry. So I don't think the Jaguars are going to be able to run. They're going to have to pass with portals. And then we'll see. Is they going to get good Blake or bad Blake? What do you think about what it's going to take to get better in the red zone? What's your latest thought on that? I think that if you have the same play caller and the same quarterback, which they do, eventually get the problems worked out. If I were the Jaguars and the Texans were at the 10 to the 20, I'd say, come on down here to the one. Here, just come on down here. Throw in the end zone. Throw in the end zone so we can commit interference and you get first and goal at the one. Because inside the five is what's killing them, actually, inside the three. You know, they can score when they got room, but I don't think the opponents respect the run. They're not the offensive line's not getting a push down there. When Arian Foster was here, you knew when the Texans got down there he was going to get the ball, right. and the line was going to blow people off the ball, and they're not able to do that. I think Watson, when he doesn't see that initial play, doesn't have time to go through reads. I think every the, the high percentage play just be throw a fade to Hopkins every time and, and give him a chance because nothing else has worked. Right, we'll see what they do. What about the way Watson is playing? Now, the injuries certainly, I think, affected him in the game against Buffalo, but he got the job done when the game was on the line, and now he says he's fine, and he was off the injury report as a limited participant on Wednesday. Um, he's. Um, I don't know how you can do what he did. As somebody who's had a cracked rib and knowing how painful it was and what it hurt so much to do to play with that, and the sternum and then the partially uh, collapsed lung. And he, the only thing it limited him doing was running. They changed the game plan to where he didn't run. He ran for first down and he went, ran out one other time. But it didn't affect him throwing. He overthrew Will Fuller on that long play. He had the long pass that was interference in the end zone. So uh, he is one tough kid, and we all know it. But I saw a list this week of <laughs> quarterback knockdowns and he's been knocked down 30 more times than the guy in front of him and it has to stop and bill o'brien told us this week they were going to work on getting the ball out quicker which is probably one of those deals mark when your back foot hits the ground get rid of the ball it's either a completion or you're throwing it away but he doesn't have the luxury most of the time of going through his progressions, and that's too bad. I also think if they ran the ball better like they did in the first two games, the pass rushers wouldn't be able to tee off on him, but uh, they've got to be able to run it better. I like that formation where they had Blue and Miller together in the backfield, and Mm -hmm. Alfred was a lead blocker. 
I'd, I'd like to see more of that. But you know the Jaguars, Calais Campbell, six sacks last year against the Texans. They've wow. got to have an answer for Calais Campbell, who likes to go back and forth between outside and inside. So you know he's going to be a target of the game plan. All right, so back to them for a moment. They have all those names on defense, John, and there are those who think that if the going continues to be tough for the Jags, culturally they won't hold up because of some of the guys like Jalen Ramsey. They won't like it, maybe some finger-pointing. That might just be pure speculation and hypothetical thought, but what do you think of that part of it as the Jags are sitting here at 3-3 three and three and not too many people thought they would be 3-3 three and three at this point? Well, if Ramsey does an interview, if the, if the Texans win, he does an interview like he did after Dallas where he went, well, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know. He was not his talkative self. So maybe. But their defense is so good with him and A.J. Boyer, good safeties. Those linebackers, Miles Jack, Telvin Smith can run like crazy. They got the good line. You know they're licking their chops. They're like, they're like vampires that need some human <laughs> blood. Here come the Texans. They want to feast. But if the Texans get up, get them down, and uh, they have to play from behind with Bortles, that'd be the best possible situation for the defense. Uh, Shot Khan, owner of the Jaguars, not going to buy Wembley Stadium stunning, today anyway. Stunning. Maybe that's a negotiating ploy. They were talking about $800 million, and they're talking about, okay, he gets control of that. He might start playing four Jaguars games there a year because you know he can make so much more money at Wembley Stadium than he can yeah. at uh, TIAA Bank Stadium. But he backed out. Maybe they jacked up the price at the last minute. But uh, I'm not for sure that when he backed out that it's he couldn't get back in it. Because John, there's a lot comes from owning that stadium there. Could that happen, though, if the Jaguars, if he owns Wembley Stadium, would the league be okay with him playing four games? They're playing games, multiple games over there now. They have been for a while. So why not just make the Jaguars the unofficial home team and separate them with Jacksonville between London and Jacksonville? I don't know if that would go with the NFL, but what are your thoughts on that? Green Bay used to play in Milwaukee and Green Bay. Yeah. You know, Buffalo, Buffalo played closer. Toronto. <laughs> it is a little closer. You What they worry about, I think they would have to have another bye week in the NFL. And if you played over there, you had a bye before and after. Before and after. Before and after. Although Indy, remember, last year, two, year before, requested no buy. They wanted to come back and play immediately. And that's happened another time at least, I think. You but, know, the games have been settled by an average of 26 points over there yeah. at a time when here all the games are closed. So one of the teams is not being able to adapt and the other one is. And they want, they want Kansas City Patriot-type games over there yeah. to keep them entertained because one of the draws over there, and I know people love football, but, you know, we're talking one, two, or three goals is a big deal over there where now they get to see what it's like to have some scoring. I think they could play maybe two games early, two games midseason or something like that if you were going to handle it with a four-game set for them in London. It'll be interesting to see how all that plays out. There's talk, too, Mark, of uh, playing uh, – a half a schedule over there, eight games, mm-hmm. and then eventually, if they did eight, you know they're eventually going to sixteen, and then every team would have to play eventually. Bob McNair, because I asked Bob, 
sure would like for you to get a game over there. So the Chronicle paid for my t- trip, and he said, I'll be happy to go over there any time, but I'm not giving up a home game. Neither will Jerry Jones. Well, right. At some point, it's like the Hall of Fame game in Canton. Eventually, you're going to have to get in part of the rotation. You're going to have to give up a home game. But I think that's a long way away, but I do believe there will be – a team or two, and I don't mind that, especially if it's expansion, although where in the world would they get quarterbacks to play uh, because the quarterback plays so bad now from so many places. But what I don't want is to ever play a Super Bowl over there. But it's the Titans going this week as they will face the L.A. Chargers Sunday morning local time anyway. That's going to be an 8.30 central time start for the Titans and the Chargers in London. John, what's going on with Tennessee? Because they look so good early. They beat the Jags 9-6. to And when I say so good, they were winning anyway. But now they're not. They lost to Buffalo. They had the loss last week to Baltimore. That was not pretty at all. What's happening with that team? They'll fit right in in London because they can't score. <laughs> they're used to low-scoring uh, events over there. Uh, it's amazing. All of a sudden, Marcus Mariota, he beats Philadelphia with a tremendous performance. So they're three and one. Everybody's giddy in Nashville. Then they haven't scored a touchdown in two weeks. He is horrible. And that Baltimore game, a hundred and six yards total offense. In an age when at a time, wow. Mark, when everybody's piling up big yardage. You know, the Texans had the lowest by far, but every other game Texans have had a lot of yards, and so you think the Ravens are really good on D, though they have only given up more than fourteen points one time. Yeah, uh, I read an in-depth now in-depth analysis of what they're doing, and they are changing. They are doing something that nobody else is doing, but everybody will. They're they're. It's all about confusion. It's all about not showing the same look twice, using personnel where they don't expect to see it. It's kind of like a mad scientist with Wink Martindale, their defensive coordinator, and uh, they've been tremendous. I can understand the defense. I can understand how well Joe Flacco's playing because if they thought he's going to play well, they wouldn't have traded back into the first round for Lamar Jackson. But Tennessee's offense, the part that stuns me is I thought their running game was going to be really good. I thought Derrick Henry with Deion Lewis coming over as a change of pace that they were going to be able to run the ball, and they have not. And of those 11 sacks they gave up to Baltimore, they said eight were Mariota's fault because he held the ball more than 2.5 seconds, which is a kiss of death. And we've seen that a lot with Deshaun Watson, where you wait and you wait wanting want to make a play down the field, but you got to be disciplined enough to get rid of the ball. And uh, Well, how about Blaine Gabbert got rid of the ball quickly when the Texans did, faced the Titans? He did, and it was great strategy. It wasn't very good, but they didn't knock him down, didn't strip sack him. That's yeah. a great strategy, but they expect more out of Mariota, and that's what is so disappointing of the last two games. Now, the Chargers are 4-2, and two, but they've beaten teams that are 6-17-1 when you're supposed to beat those teams. Yep. And they've done it, just like the Texans have done it the last three weeks. So I expect the Chargers to lose again, I mean to win again, and I expect that if the Texans win, they're going to be in first place by themselves uh, with Brock Tober coming next week. That could be I'm a lot so of fun. I'm so fired up about that game. <laughs> you and I, next time we're on, uh, it'll be game day. I know. It'll be one week from tonight, the Texans and the Dolphins at NRG Stadium. All right, do you think the Chargers are overinflated or are you waiting and seeing what they're going I'm to do? I'm waiting and seeing because we've talked about they have no home advantage. They're playing 16 road games, and 
In fact, there's stories this week after yep. the NFL owners meetings in New York. Something that hadn't gotten any attention that I think is pretty big, they removed the rule about no cross-ownership in the NFL, yeah. which means you can own any team you want in another team, even if city, even if it has an NFL franchise. So uh, I think that it's uh, – So like Mark Cuban could buy the Chargers theoretically or yes, something like could. that. Yes, he could. And uh, – any owner, because the reason is that there are NFL owners with so many billions. They yeah. buy soccer franchises in Europe. Now they're talking about maybe they want to get in the NBA. Some of these NBA owners that uh, might want to buy an NFL team, like Tillman Fertitta or, or Balmer, who owns the Clippers. You know, it's only play. another $3 billion or yeah, so. so what? They only paid $2 billion and, and change. And mm-hmm. so um, I think that's a pretty big deal. But uh, the Chargers, I just don't buy them. Because at some point you got to have a home field advantage. What if they play a playoff game at home? Already their twenty-seven thousand seat stadium is overrun by opposing fans, and no, that would be so embarrassing to the league. Yeah, they, they need to find a way to build a stadium back in San Diego, finance it themselves, and get them back to San Diego. I don't know if you'll have this answer, but the Rams in St. Louis. St. Louis was very close to putting together a deal. I think they had a deal. They deal, but Kroenke wanted to go to L.A. and do this deal because if the stadium's going to end up costing $5 billion, but so much is going with it. Right. He's a businessman. He already knows he's going to make that and so so much more. But why – I'm not saying the Chargers should move to St. Louis, but why isn't St. Louis the new chess piece on the board where you could say they'll have a deal for us and you could leverage that against wherever or possibly move there if you want to because it is a viable NFL market. Their stadium was going to be open air, mm-hmm. the new one. It wasn't going to be another dome. And people, there's nothing sexy about St. Louis. When the when Kroenke moved to L.A., when he moves in his new stadium – I was told it'll make an, each owner another $25 million a year just playing in that stadium. That's from the Rams. Each I, owner each in the owner, league. $25 million more. And you're not going to make that kind of money in uh, St. Louis no. or even or even San Diego. But the Chargers will do well in that stadium? That no, I don't think so. How well are they going to do if they're drawing 25000 in so. an 80,000-seat stadium? It would be embarrassing. Well, maybe they have to pony up the money for a San Diego stadium and go back there. But well, that's just Alex my Spanos has died. Dean Spanos is running the show, but he was running the show. He tried to get a new stadium for 15 years and couldn't do it. And so what else is an owner supposed to do? The yeah. stadium was a dump. You think San Diego would take them back? I mean, if you could yes. put together a stadium of for them. Of course you yeah. know they would take them yeah. back. And, so, and now that they've lived without them, maybe you have all the leverage you need. Who knows? I'm not saying it's going to get The problem done. was with the Spanos family, not with the players. You think they wouldn't like to have Philip Rivers back, even though he still lives in San oh, yeah, Diego? Sure. I sure. think they would welcome them with open arms. All right, John, Thursday Night Football, the Broncos at the Cardinals. What is happening in Denver? How safe or unsafe is Vance Joseph? And what about Keenum's starting position? Case has more interceptions and touchdowns. They don't who they have, Chad Kelly. Yeah. And they, uh, they've lost. They started off winning two close ones at home. They've lost close ones. Uh I thought it was kind of cool. Von Miller came out and said, we're going to kick their bleep. So I picked them to win by 10. Arizona's terrible. If Denver yeah. cannot beat the Cardinals, then Vance may get fired. I don't even know who his coordinators are. But uh, there was talk that John Elway was going to fire him after last season. And John Elway's getting a lot of heat. Yeah, you know, He called his defense soft and things like that. Now, of course, John's got winning a Super Bowl. There's talk was they may – now, I don't – 
I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there's talk that if they fired Vance Joseph, who might they have in the organization that could step in and take over that team? Well, he is there, but I don't know. The wife has to come into play here as far as that decision to re-enter the coaching ranks for Gary Kubiak. They might say, Gary, come on, it's just half a season. Well, it's hard to say because when you've been carried out on a stretcher twice in different organizations – Having this job, I'm not so sure it's the healthiest thing to do, but we'll see. I mean, we all love Gary, and best of luck to he him. He turned down some offers. Maybe being a coordinator would be best, or maybe doing a John Elway for another organization, being the guy to run it and not be the coach day-to-day grind. I don't think he wants that. Yeah. The coordinators, when he was in Baltimore, he was living by the facility, spending 14, 15 hours really? a day there. And they had their when, best offensive season ever, they by the did, way. They did, when Ronda was back Except here. for the game here. Visiting the boys, so I, I – uh, I could see maybe him answering an SOS for half a season, but not coming back on a permanent basis, although I sure would like to see him do it. All right, other games that we want to talk about here. How about the Indianapolis Colts hosting the Buffalo Bills? Okay, Buffalo's defense was good coming in here, and then it looked great. Right. So I'm assuming the Bills' defense is going to look good, but they can't score many points. Indianapolis can score points with luck. Mm -hmm. You have no running game whatsoever. Their offensive line's injured. They're, they've got a lot of players out, but Andrew's throwing the ball all over the place. So they're going to end their losing streak. John, that stat that Luck has thrown more passes through the first six games than any quarterback since 1950, that's because they can't find the records prior to 1950, right? Um, I don't Who know. Would... They got Don Hudson's records. Okay. More passes in the first six games in pre-1950s football. Well, they didn't throw the football that much, so it shouldn't be hard to determine. Okay. Uh, the Browns, I don't want to talk about them. They're going to be at the Buccaneers. Let's just uh, go to the Dolphins hosting the Detroit Lions. So you mentioned the possibility of Brock Osweiler next week. It looks like it's going to happen, right? Tannehill's not going to be able to be ready. He has a, a shoulder week. injury, and Adam Gase hadn't even kidded around. He said, I don't know when he's coming back. But Brock against Detroit, 300, he, okay. he's beaten them before here, right? He threw for well over three, what 385 last week. Does he turn into a pumpkin at some point? Or was this, was this a change-up pitch that they used against the Bears? So many teams have thought he's going to turn into a pumpkin or they wouldn't have gotten rid of him. <laughs> right. Now, two of the – Albert Wilson took two short passes and turned them into long touchdowns. Yeah. So that was about uh, 130 yards worth yeah. off of the 385 or whatever it was. So he also threw, th- what, three interceptions? Two. Two interceptions. And he's a target, and so I can't wait. I'm going to be really bummed if Tannehill comes back because <laughs> playing the Dolphins, they're, I believe right, they're 4-2. and two. Yeah. I think as it stands today, they're the only team left on the Texans record schedule with a winning record. As it stands as today. It stands That's today. amazing. And uh, so I hope they do beat Detroit. I hope that people get fired up about the 5-2 Dolphins and and uh, and Brock Osweiler coming to Houston, you know that the networks will play it up like crazy. Do you believe Drew Brees is 0-4 all-time against the Ravens? I guess it's just one of those things. It's AFC, NFC, doesn't face them that often. But they're going to Baltimore this week, the Saints are. Does that Ravens defense finally cool off? Brees is playing so well. That streak's got it. I'm guessing it's the last time he'll play against them. I'm taking New Orleans. Okay, unless it was a Super Bowl situation. Cowboys at the Redskins. I'm intrigued by Washington because they are on the Texans' schedule. They have Alex Smith. When I look at the quarterbacks alone, never mind the rest of the team, just the quarterbacks the Texans are facing here, John, in the next six, seven weeks, Alex Smith seems to be the best one. 
and you're going to go to his place. They're three and two. Cowboys are 3 on the road. We saw them here. Texans totally dominated them. Uh, I'm taking the Redskins. Okay, Redskins at home in this one. The Bengals at the Chiefs. The Chiefs looked amazing against the Patriots on offense. They gave up 43 points on defense. Now, the Bengals, they got a lot of weapons. They have a lot of moxie, but they lost to the Steelers at the buzzer basically last week. Fontes Burfat comes back. All of a sudden, he's cheap-shotting people, getting reviewed by the NFL. I still think he has a negative influence on that team. I'm taking the Chiefs. I think it'll be high-scoring. Kansas City's defense is number 32. So Andy Dalton and their offense ought to be able to score some points. It's going to be another exciting, close game that this time the Chiefs will win. Jets hosting the Vikings. Are the Jets any good? They're 3-3. They three three. They've won two in a row. In their three victories, they're averaging over 40 points. In their three losses, they're averaging 13. Which Jets team is going to show up? Uh, Sam Darrell has played very well in the last two games. I'm happy for Mike McCagnin, as I'm sure you are. Uh, they're playing at home, Minnesota, 3-2-1. Two, and one. They were 2-2 two, two last year. Bounce back. Uh, Adam Thielen is Tying could tie the record of most consecutive 100-yard games receiving to start a season set by Oilers receiver Charlie Hennigan in 1961. They've done a lot of stories in the metro in the Twin Cities about just who is Charlie Hennigan. I've done some interviews, giving them some numbers of Oilers who played then, like Bill Groman, and so uh, Thielen has got a chance to take to, to take. The record, I'm taking Minnesota. I'm not picking the Jets to beat Minnesota's defense. John, it's really funny how that goes, though. I mean, you you look at Kirk Cousins going to Minnesota. I think it's almost a week-to-week thing, but it looks like they made a pretty good investment there. So far, they're throwing the ball well. They've had injuries to Dalvin Cook. They haven't been able to run the ball they want. The defense was number one in the NFL last year. Jacksonville was two. They have not played the dominant defense that they did a season ago, but they're confident that they will. They've had a, they got beat at home by Buffalo, and they've rebounded. So I, I think yeah. Minnesota, when all is said and done, Minnesota's going to be right there in the NFC North along with Green Bay. I don't think Chicago can keep it up. I like Thielen as a story because two years ago the Texans go to Minnesota and we're thinking, who's Adam Thielen? And he has a big game against the Texans. The Vikings were just dominant in that game in their new building at the time. And here he is now. He's the household name at wide receiver. Who would have thunk it? Did he even start or was he coming off the bench? I think he might have gotten the start that day, but he was uh, an emerging player. You know, we obviously I prepared for the game. I knew who the guy was, but I didn't expect him to have that kind of outing and that kind of career for sure. One more for you here. Is there discrimination against defense? And I'll set this up this way. Texans accused of winning ugly on Sunday. All right, ugly, whatever you want to call it. You hold the Buffalo Bills to 13 points. The Patriots win a game later that night, 43 to 40. Is that winning pretty when you give up 40 points? It looks good when you're moving the football, but you gave up 40 points. How is that any less ugly than giving up 13? I think, Mark, it depends on who you beat. If you beat Kansas City, it's not winning ugly. If you beat Buffalo in a close game, it's winning ugly. And Baltimore, uh, nobody's complaining in Baltimore about defense. I can't wait to see how that – Ravens continue to play defense, and are they trendsetters? Which other teams will watch how they're doing it? You know, not only you have to have the personnel, but they got to execute. Mm-hmm. And the Texans right now, other than missing the corners, 
they're in pretty good shape. Andre Howe's going to be back sometime in the next three weeks. He'll give them even more depth at safety where they have three new ones from when he started last year, and uh, that's good. And then Bill O'Brien told us early this week that he expects Aaron Coleman and Kevin Johnson to come back at some point. So That'll be huge. That would be great. If they could get Foreman back. Full compliment. Oh. Now, that's the one I'm not – you know, once you start the 21 days, the clock is ticking. So yeah. they can hold Deontay Foreman as long as they want. But once he comes back to practice, he can be activated two days later or three weeks later. But once you hit that 22nd day, you got to stay on the list or be on the active roster. And we know he's coming back at some point. John, what do you have going out of the Chronicle? I'm doing this column on Jadavion Clowney uh, uh, taking out the trash. And uh, he didn't say he regretted what he said about Bortles, but he said why he said it. And, of course, he turned it into a great thing, toys for kids full of trash cans. So it worked out great. And he said they were embarrassed last year, and they're not going to get embarrassed again. Thank you, General. Thank you, Mark. And now the quarterback for the Oilers in the Love You Blue era, Dan Pastorini. Dan, my friend, how are you doing? I'm good. We um, I've been busy. We had our uh charity event this weekend for Being Angel, Dan Pastorini's golf tournament, Kayla, and uh, Tracy Bird concert, and uh, we set a record this year and had a great turnout, and then I had my buddy Butch Alston today at his golf event for the Ronald McDonald House, and they had the opportunity to play with one of the great Texans, Wade Smith, really nice guy, he crushes the ball, he kind of explodes it when he hits it, but every day, we're having fun. Well, you crushed the ball, too, my friend. And I know that um, the Be an Angel stuff is important to you. You are a Halliburton hometown hero, one of them this year, so that's great. I wanted to talk to you about this, though, specifically, because the starting quarterback of the Houston Texans is dealing with rib problems. And Uh your name came up in my mind because I know you have done the same thing. So if you could just take me through a little bit of that. I know it's in your book. I know that you've discussed some of this before, but you kind of you didn't invent rib injuries, but you were part of an invention that helped people deal with them better in professional football. You know, see, I'm crushed that you don't remember the intricate details of my life. You know, it, our friendship goes much deeper than that, <laughs> I thought, but I guess not. Anyway, yes, I know a little bit about broken ribs. Uh, Byron Donzies designed a vest for me years ago. Uh, back when the football had, it was stuffed and didn't have air. <laughs> and uh, it was a very good protector. I don't know if it was the protection of the uh, the flat jacket or if it was the marking and novocaine that they injected into my ribs 24 times a game. So I went out there pretty numb in the ribs and had the protection so I wouldn't hurt myself further. But, um, you know, if I had it to do over again, I think I'd either play with the ribs broken with the pain and bite the bullet or not subject myself to injuring myself any further. But I don't know what Deshaun's situation is, but I think all quarterbacks were wearing those red protectors. Of course, he's more of a mobile quarterback. I was more of a stable quarterback that I couldn't move very well like he does. And I guess it might he might feel that it hinders him a little bit. I never noticed that because, like I said, I never ran. But, uh, you know, it's a great protection uh, for ribs, and I would highly recommend it in the future. What's it like when you have a rib injury, broken ribs, whatever, and you're not playing? It's during the week. It's during practice. How does it affect you on a day-to-day basis, Dante? It affects everything you do, from breathing to sleeping to going to the bathroom, coughing, you know, anything. It's just a very 
the rib itself doesn't hurt. It's the cartilage in between the ribs. It's very painful, very discomforting. You know, you'll lose some sleep. You know, it's kind of irritable to kind of a nagging injury like that. What do you think of Deshaun Watson as you watch him? He's early in his development. I know it's been a couple of seasons, but it's really not been a full season's worth of games yet. What are your thoughts so far on his progress, Dante? Well, I think he's a, a talented individual. I think that he's got tremendous ability. I'd like to see him stay away from the running game, and I'd like to see him stay away from incorporating him into the running game as much. But you know, I like him. I think he's a great talent. And I think he's got a tremendous future, and Houston should should be proud to have it. As you developed as a quarterback, Dante, how many years do you think it took you to finally sort of see things differently, to have that veteran's eye on things, to be able to spot things a lot easier because of experience? How long did that take? Well, me, it took a little longer because I had, uh, you know, we went through four nine and one my first year. We were one and thirteen and one and thirteen the next two years. And then we finally had a 500 season, my my uh, fourth season. And then we started to win. I mean, the, the talent was there. It was just it's hard to do things when you're on your back. So uh, I had some knowledge, I had some experience, but until I was surrounded with you know better players, it, it allowed me to you know do more from a quarterback standpoint. And then when we got when we got early in here, we had you know we were a run first offense, but it opened up our our, our deep balls by running play action passes. He had to respect whenever I stuck the ball in his stomach that uh, the linebackers couldn't just drop in the coverage. So it's a similar game. I think uh, it's still a game of strengths versus weaknesses. And, uh, you know, I'm not, no offense, I don't want to, you know, make any coaches mad over there. I've never been a proponent for calling plays from the sidelines because I think the quarterback should be smart enough to be out there in the middle of the heat of the battle and see the alignment better than you can see from the sidelines. And especially from up top, he's got a bird's eye view, and I think you just teach him a game plan against certain fronts and coverages that you want to get done in the field of play, especially in the red zone. You know, let him handle it. Let him let him call the plays. He's got a better feel out there. There he is, Dan Pastorini, and check out more from Dan on the Vandermeer's View podcast on HoustonTexans.com and all the other great podcasts there. Now, more on the rib stuff, Houston Methodist Minutes. Let's go up to Willowbrook and visit with Dr. Scott Rand of Houston Methodist. Doctor, how are you doing? Outstanding, Mark. How are you? Doing well. All right, let's talk about rib injuries because we do have a notable one with the Houston Texans, and obviously Watson has played. I know people play through this stuff. Tell me about rib injuries. I think bruised ribs, cracked ribs, it's got to be very different, obviously, but how do you gauge all that? It's not necessarily different. Uh, The pain can be the same. Whether that rib is cracked uh, or just bruised with the cartilage being cracked, uh, all those can cause a significant amount of pain. How much pain it causes depends on how many ribs are fractured, how much jagged edge there is to the bone, and really where on the rib it is. The lower ribs have more movement than the upper ribs, and sometimes they will hurt a little bit more, and that's what that flak jacket is really to help protect a little bit. It's surprising that Watson was able to play as well as he has, because the majority of people we see honestly have less ability than he does, honestly, but that's, I guess that's why you're a professional quarterback. Well, we've also seen players sometimes play with a sternum problem, and that's obviously the breastbone in front. So what about when that comes into play, Doctor? Well, when the sternum gets cracked, that takes a whole lot more energy to do that. And with any of those fractures, it's not so much the bone you worry about, but the organs that it's protecting. You crack a sternum, you really have to worry about a contusion or a bruise to the heart. Uh, Any of the rib fractures higher up can cause bruises in the lung. And down lower, it's the, the kidneys and the liver and the spleen. So 
what we always worry about isn't so much the rib fracture, but what organ sits right underneath it. So we always worry about did they damage their kidneys and we check their urine and those sort of things. Uh, the big deal with ribs is it also causes pain when you breathe. Uh, so one of the more common complications that happens after rib fracture is since you're not able to take a deep breath, you end up with a pneumonia because your lungs kind of collapse down a little bit. Controlling pain well enough for them to be able to deep breathe is one of the main treatments for it. Now, what about the setting or healing? You really can't set these, right? So you just sort of wait and make yourself as comfortable as possible. How do you handle that? You, you sure can't set them. They, they do heal. Uh, surgery for a rib fracture is almost non-existent. So it is just a time thing. And it's going to be six to eight weeks before those ribs completely heal up and recover. But contrary to other bones that you can hold still, that rib moves every time you breathe. So often it will take a bit longer and then end up with a little bit bigger bony callus around it when it does heal. Great information, doctor. Thanks so much for the time. You bet, Mark. Thank you, sir. Dr. Scott Rand from Houston Methodist Willowbrook Hospital. Houston Methodist Orthopedics and Sports Medicine is offering its convenient sports injury clinics for student-athletes around the Houston area. Saturday mornings in Baytown, Clear Lake, West Houston, Katy, Sugarland, and Willowbrook. For more information, log out to HoustonMethodist.org slash athlete, the official health care provider of the Houston Texans, Houston Methodist Leading Medicine. All right, that's going to do it for the show tonight. We want to thank everyone for being on the program. John McClain, Dan Pastorini, Scott Rand. We'll be back on tomorrow at 6. Don't forget to start your game day right with Texans Game Day on KPRC Channel 2 at 8.30 a.m. Kickoff with the Bills at noon. Of course, our pregame on radio gets fired up right here at 9 a.m. and also on the Texans app. And we look forward to talking to you from Jacksonville on Sunday. Have a great night, everyone. Go Astros. Go Texans.